0: What's up, boxing fans? Welcome to the Neutral Corner, episode number 126. I am Michael Montero for BoxingMonthly.com and Boxing Monthly Magazine. Real quick, guys, wanted to apologize about the audio last week. I know the audio was good throughout the whole episode, except for the preview section, the preview music. For whatever reason, it didn't—the uh, volume didn't turn down. So we have fixed that issue. It won't be like that this week i promise <laughs> so uh for any of you guys who uh whose eardrums i might have destroyed last week or speakers i might have destroyed i sincerely apologize won't happen again uh real quick wanted to remind you guys check us out on patreon it's patreon.com if you're interested in a t-shirt we sold a couple t-shirts this week uh, a couple of you guys wanted to keep your names Um, private I understand that but I wanted to give a shout out to Christopher Bosti for picking up one thank you so much man Uh, if you guys want to check out the t-shirt just email me MonteroUnboxing at gmail.com other than that please go to Apple Podcast subscribe to the Neutral Corner Podcast and um, give us a rating give us a review there on iTunes all right all right let's get to news and notes All right, so let's talk about everybody's favorite subject these days, money. Everybody wants to talk about money, right? Forbes released their list of the 100 highest paid athletes in 2017. Now, normally I could give a shit about this kind of stuff, but you guys asked about it. I wanted to give a couple of quick insights, um, some things that I noticed. I actually did look over the list and um, I tweeted about this earlier today, but Anyway, Floyd Mayweather topped it, right? Big surprise there. $285 million. Dudes topped that list for how many years now? Conor McGregor was on the list at number four. Only he was a boxer last year. They listed him. It was so funny. Forbes listed him as an MMA fighter. But that was very, very dishonest because he wasn't an MMA fighter last year. He was licensed as a boxer. He fought in one boxing match, and that's where he made his money. He hasn't fought in a ufc slash mma fight in what a year and a half going on two years now so that that was really really uh just inaccurate by forbes anyway canelo alvarez number 15 at 45 million and that's what the that's what forbes knows about they don't know about a lot of other money he gets from down there in mexico anthony joshua number 25 at 39 million in Gennady Golovkin, number 72 at $25 million. And there's probably some money there from overseas that they don't know that Triple G got as well. So anyway, five boxers on this list. And yes, I'm counting Conor McGregor as a boxer. And for those of you who are like, but Conor McGregor is such a big name in MMA. Shut up. He was the B side against Mayweather. He didn't make one tenth of that purse in any MMA fight, and as far as I know, no MMA fighter ever has made an eight-figure payday as far as just guaranteed purse in any UFC fight. Guys, if I'm wrong, correct me on that because admittedly I don't know shit about MMA. However, five boxers on this list, not one UFC fighter, not one MMA fighter. And I get it, McGregor, his background was in MMA, but if he had only fought in MMA fights last year, he might be on the list. He might be, but he'd probably be down where Golovkin was. I mean, maybe the guy would have, if he fought twice last year, maybe he would have made 20 some million dollars, especially if you're including endorsements. And just to make it clear, guys, um, this list, the, the dollar amounts included what they were paid for as fighters and endorsement deals. Okay. So it was everything combined together. For Mayweather, he made 10 million in endorsements last year, he made 275 million in purses. Some of these guys make a lot more in endorsements. I think McGregor, that's probably how he would do better. Most of the UFC guys, that's how they make the bulk of their money. But the reason why I brought this up real quick and the reason why I tweeted about it is because for years and years and years, I had to hear about it, you guys had to hear about it, how boxing was finished, how MMA has taken over boxing, how their pay-per-view numbers are destroying boxing, Blah, blah, blah. When it comes to dollars, and actually when it comes to pay per view buys now, that the two biggest stars in MMA history, as far as money goes and um, commercial box office appeal, that would be Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor, have lost to boxers in the last few years, and that burst those bubbles. Um, you know, outside of those two guys, once they lost, I don't know what big star is going right now in MMA and who's making money, but nobody even made the top 100 in 2017. Now, obviously, somebody will come up and fight again. I'm sure McGregor will come back and fight in UFC, although he probably doesn't want to take a 95% pay cut, but he's going to have to to go back. But I just want to make this clear, guys. We We have an American guy, an Irish guy, who fought one time against an American guy last year a Mexican dude, a British dude, and a Kazakh who fights out of America, all on this list. So, this boxing is very very healthy. In this year if the Canelo Golovkin rematch happens and then Golovkin gets Ryota Murata at the end of the year in Japan and gets that 10 or I'm sorry, 8-figure payday, he's going to be back on this list and he actually might be rated higher than Canelo. It, it'll be interesting to see how all that whacks up. But Rayona Mirada, depending on what he makes in that fight, he might make the very, very bottom of this list next year. It would be interesting. But worldwide, boxing is very, very, very healthy. Can we stop with all this boxing is dead shit? And can we stop with all this UFC has usurped boxing shit? There are two different elements. There are two different things. A lot of you out there like both. Some people only like boxing. Some people only like UFC. That's cool. I'm sick of hearing that and it it tends to come from that side because 99% of UFC's fans are fair weather sports fans. They're casual fans. They're they're not very educated, astute fans of what they're watching. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. I'm actually saying that to give credit to the marketing job UFC does, marketing to middle America, suburban kids, Anglo kids, the biggest market in this America is 70 plus percent Anglo they have that market better than boxing does that's why they do better ratings and some of their athletes their biggest most popular fighters are more marketable to that group of people so demographics wise i get why it's so popular here but i'm sick of hearing that it's taking over boxing shut up with that shit. seriously it's not they will both continue to exist but they will both market to different demographics here in the united states And globally, boxing will always be bigger than UFC, at least for the next century. Now, 150 years from now, maybe that's different. All right, moving on. Let's talk about Gennady Golovkin and the IBF stripping him. Now, I made a rant video talking about this. And of course, I get the, oh, Montero, you're a Golovkin shill, blah, blah, blah. What happened to me being a Canelo shill? I can't be a Canelo shill and a Golovkin shill. I can't be both. I gotta be one or the other right according to twitter that's what's going on right now you gotta you gotta one side or the other anyway I, I, guys you know i'm not a show for triple g um if you want to criticize him for not fighting Derevianchenko for 2 million so he can fight canelo alvarez for 20 plus million get back on the forbes list and set up big business with him being the lineal undisputed champion of the middleweight division and eventually fight Derevyanchenko next year or the year after that, and Derevyanchenko double or triple his payday when it finally happens, go ahead and criticize him. I'm just not a moron like you, and I'm not gonna criticize him for that. Now, if he ends up dumping, let's say he fights Canelo and Murata, and then he dumps all of his titles in 2019, it moves up to super middleweight to go for paydays. That's his prerogative if he did something like that. But that would be the first guy to criticize him. And, and all the belts and all that kind of stuff. It's marketing. Fighters market themselves. Promoters find ways to promote fighters. Guys, the way a fighter promotes themselves, the way a promoter positions and, and promotes a fighter will change three, four, five, six times throughout a career. Most of you guys will not work the same job for the rest of your life. Most of you will change jobs. You will change careers. You will change job locations. You might relocate to a different state multiple times in your lives. Why the F shouldn't it be different for a fighter? A lot of you dissing Golovkin right now for saying he's being a hypocrite about the all the belt stuff. You didn't seem to care when Canelo dumped the belt to take on fighters like Amir Khan and Julio Cesar Chavez to make some extra bread before he fought Golovkin. you didn't seem to care when Floyd Mayweather changed his marketing strategy. It went from pretty boy to money and fought a bunch of guys on pay-per-view that didn't belong on pay-per-view and pushed the Pacquiao fight back as absolutely long as he could before cashing out. You didn't seem to mind him coming back to fight a guy who had never boxed before in a money grab and tr- trying honestly to fool you guys into believing that fight was competitive. He could have knocked out McGregor in the first round of that fight if he wanted to. He carried him. And some of you actually think that that was a competitive fight. I can't believe it. Anyway, a lot of you know, some of you have mentioned uh, on, on Twitter, I've seen some of you guys talk about Golovkin as being a hypocrite because he bashed Canelo Alvarez for fighting welterweights and for dumping his title. Now, on the surface, I understand that. And you're right, because Golovkin technically did fight a welterweight. He fought Kell Brook, remember? And he just recently, in his last fight, fought a junior middleweight, Vons Martirosian, And now he's dumped a title. So he's pulled on the surface similar similar moves to what Canelo pulled. However, as I always say, nuance matters. Details matter. When you look at what Canelo Alvarez did after beating Miguel Cotto, he had had two signature fights up to that point. He had gotten a huge payday against Mayweather. He had gotten a huge payday against Cotto. And he was the money man in the sport at that point because you know Mayweather had just cashed out against Pacquiao. He dumped his title because he didn't want to fight Golovkin yet. And he didn't want to be ruled by the WBC. He didn't want to go according to their timeline. Now, if there was a bigger fighter for Canelo Alvarez at that point than Gennady Golovkin and he dumped that title to go after the better fighter, to go after the bigger payday, the significantly higher, I'm talking 10 times higher payday and dump that title at the time, that would be the equivalent of what Gennady Golovkin's doing right now. I don't think any of you are dumb enough to think that Sergei Derevyanchenko is a better fighter at this point than Canelo Alvarez is. I know those of you who at least have second grade level math understand that Canelo brings 10 times the amount of money than Derevyanchenko brings. So to compare this situation to what Canelo did going back two, two and a half years with uh, Cotto with the WBC title, Guys, you're you're comparing apples to oranges. It's still fruit. And if you spin it the right way, you can make it sound like the same thing. And that's what a lot of the clickbait bastards on YouTube are doing that have hundreds of thousands of subscribers who are mostly idiots who love to gossip over bullshit. You know, more power to them though. Good for them. But they're trying to compare these situations because they're both fruit, but they're not the same kinds of fruit. And now when it comes to the Kel Brook fight, Look, you can't compare that to when Canelo fought Amir Khan. Canelo dumped his title that he won off Cotto. And he the bigger, more money-making fight for him, the fight everybody wanted to see at that point, the biggest fight in the sport you can make at that point was him versus Gennady Golovkin. He dumped the title so he wouldn't have to fight Golovkin yet. And he fought a welterweight in Amir Khan. Amir Khan was not a pound-for-pound rated Well, a fighter at that point, he wasn't a uh, elite level welterweight at that point. Canelo brought him up to Canelo weight. Remember, this wasn't just up to 54. This was up to Canelo weight 55. And guys, I covered that fight. I was there. Khan had been knocked out as a lightweight, mind you before as a lightweight, and then fought at welterweight. And then he fought at junior Canelo weight at 155 pounds. That is not the same damn thing that Gennady Golovkin did against Kell Brook. Gennady Golovkin had a fight agreed to with Chris Eubank Jr., who was a middleweight. Eubank pulled out at the last second. They had the date. They had the arena. They had tickets sold. They had things completely set up for a fight over there in London with Hearn. Lawler, and Hearn worked some magic. They threw a few extra bones at, actually, I think it was the same amount of money that Eubank was going to get to uh, Kel Brook, who was seen at the time by many people as the number one welterweight in the world. I had him rated number one, but he was certainly seen as a top two or three welterweight in the world at that point. He was seen as an elite level welterweight. And on the bubble of a, the pound for pound list, maybe top 15 or so pound for pound, he was certainly in better condition than Amir Khan was. So they got a fight with Kel Brook. At that time, Gennady Golovkin was the most avoided fighter in the sport. And he was trying to build his brand. That's why they wanted to fight Chris Eubank Jr. Because he was a well-known fighter in the UK. They wanted to go over to the UK and market themselves and build themselves up with that fan base. It's not that hard to understand. And by the way, Golovkin went over to the UK to fight his welterweight. Canelo forced his welterweight to come to America, to Las Vegas, which, again, post Mayweather Pacquiao had become Canelo's playground. That's Canelo's office, right? So completely different situation. So, and I could keep ranting. There's more and more and more I could talk about here. But This isn't me shilling for Golovkin. This is me providing logic and reason and facts to those of you who are trying to compare these situations. It's, Just flat out dishonest. Now, some people out there, some of you know better and you're doing this because you have an agenda. But there are some of you out there that are just stupid or you haven't been watching boxing that long and you just go to box rec and stuff and look at things like this. Or you go to really shitty sources for quote unquote (coughs) news for your boxing information. You just need to learn more. All right. And that's why you should be listening here. And, you know, there's some other great shows out there. But you guys know I'm always going to keep it real and give you my honest opinion. Now, one quick thing I wanted to also mention about the IBF and Golovkin on top of the rant video I did. Then we'll move on here. You know, Errol Spence, he won his IBF mandatory against Leo Bundu in August of 2016. He didn't fight Kell Brook until May of 2017. So what is that, nine months? Dominic Wade won his IBF mandatory in June of 2015 against Sam Solomon, didn't fight Gennady Golovkin until April of 2016. What is that, 10 months? So the IBF has had extended timelines before, okay? I can't understand why they rushed this thing so much, other than the fact that Lou DiBella, Uncle Al, working through Lou DiBella, that whole piece, that whole side there, the PBC really pushed the IBF. Once the you know clen uh, gate blew up and all that, they really pushed the IBF. Now, in one sense, they really hooked up their fighter because now they're going to fight for this vacant title. They're going to make six figures, and they're going to. It depends who they fight, man. I talked in my rant video about who the top rated guys are. I think Charlo's the top rated guy. And I think Jacobs is rated right after him. And then it's Andre, who's already ducked Derevyanchenko. So let's leave him out of the conversation. But Charlo and Jacobs, I'm sorry. I got to favor both of them over Derevyanchenko right now. So it's very, very possible Derevyanchenko will fight for a vacant IBF title against either Charlo or Jacobs. At least those are the two highest rated guys. And they're both available for later this year. I don't know why that wouldn't happen. Uncle Al might work some magic to, to um, uh, for Charlo to save him for Golovkin. But Hearn and, and Jacobs, I don't see why they wouldn't jump all over that. But they're either way, whether it's Charlo or Jacobs or anybody else, and it really shouldn't be anybody else, but even if it is, you're talking low, mid-six, maybe mid-six figures payday for Derevyanchenko. Probably not, probably low six figures to be honest. But against Gennady Golovkin, if they could have just waited till early next year, against Gennady Golovkin, shit, you might've got seven figures. If it went to purse bid and you got the purse bid split between a champion and a mandatory, you, maybe not a million, but you would've got high six figures. Now, if Loeffler wanted to strike a deal, didn't want him to go to purse bid then who knows what they could have got but they certainly would have got at least twice the amount now he would have got his ass handed to him by Golovkin but he would have got more money if they play the long game though if somehow uncle al can uncle al represents both Derevyanchenko and Charlo so that's why I don't think they're going to fight each other I think Uncle Al is going to work some magic with the IBF, even though according to their rules, okay, they said the next highest-rated available contender is who Derevyanchenko has to fight for the vacant title. That would be Charlo. But they will bend their rules for Al Heyman, and Charlo will sit on the fence. He'll fight somebody else. They'll go further down the ratings list, and Derevyanchenko will fight someone else. And when he, if he wins and he has that title, a year down the road or so, if they end up unifying with Golovkin, then certainly Derevianchenko will be getting seven figures. So it just remains to be seen how this is gonna work out for him. Long game, it might have worked out better this way because whenever they fight Golovkin, maybe they have a title and they could come in as a unification match and they'll certainly get seven figures, a big payday. He'll still get his ass handed to him, but he'll get a life-changing payday. But if he goes up there against Charlo, Jacobs, I don't think he's going to win that fight. Now, if he gets somebody in the lower top 10 and the IBF bends their rules for Uncle Al, which we've seen them do, believe it or not, maybe it can happen. We'll find out. The reason why I bring up the Al Heyman-IBF connection okay, is because if you just look at some of the fighters that... Heyman represents, they seem to get lined up for vacant titles with the IBF. Sergey Lipinets was the IBF mandatory. Terence Crawford, of course, uh, vacated so he could move up and wait. So Sergey Lipinets fought for a vacant IBF title. Jared Hurd fought for a vacant IBF title. Robert Easter, vacant IBF title. James DeGale vacant IBF title. Now Derevyanchenko will fight for a vacant IBF title. I mentioned Spence before. I mentioned Wade before. Fighters represented by Al Heyman, who's based out of America, seem to get lined up for mandatories and vacant title fights for the IBF, which is the only major sanctioning organization still headquartered in America. I don't know if that's a coincidence. I don't know if there's something more to it. I just thought I'd bring it up. All right. Moving on. Some fights coming together. Dillian White versus Joseph Parker, July 28th on Sky Sports over there in the UK, O2 Arena. Katie Taylor will also be on this card defending her titles. Guys, I love this fight. We need more fights like this in the heavyweight division. Some of you guys don't get it. You're like, why doesn't Dillian White wait for uh, Deontay Wilder? Because, you know, Deontay Wilder, that's a bigger payday, that's a title shot, blah, blah, blah. Guys, Deontay Wilder, I've told you a thousand times, he's fighting Dominic Brazil this this summer. It's possible later this year a Dillian White fight could happen. That's that's possible, but it's uh, we, we don't know. If you're Dillian White and you want to stay busy and you want to make some money, I love this fight for him. Now Joseph Parker. I love that coming off his first professional loss to Anthony Joshua, which he didn't set the world on fire, but he went the distance. He, you know, and he showed some of Joshua's vulnerabilities and limitations. Um, but he also has 12 rounds of footage to look at and see the many, many mistakes he made in that fight. He comes right off that first loss and fights a top 10 heavyweight. I love this. More fighters need to do this. I like the mentality Joseph Parker has. Travels to the UK to fight the champ. Off that loss comes right back to the lion's den to fight a top 10 rated heavyweight. That's the way it's supposed to be done, man. I I, I love this. And and here's the thing. A lot of people are saying, well, the, the Joshua Parker fight was a stinker. All Joshua did, or I'm sorry, all Parker did was cover up and try to make A.J. miss. And he ran. It was ugly. Guys, styles make fights. Parker was looking up five inches at Joshua, it felt like. Against Dillian White, these guys are pretty much the same size. Because of their size, because of their mentality, neither guy hits very hard. I would say White probably hits harder, but I would say Parker has a much better chin. The styles of these two fighters, the size of them, the way they match up, and the, the trajectory of their careers right now, okay? The winner of this fight, whatever WBC, some other, I think White has what, the WBC Silver or some shit? So the winner of this fight would have the BC Silver and at some point be lined up for Wilder. I mean, that's a big deal. There's a lot at stake here. These guys are not going to come stink to join out. They're going to come fight hard. And I think this is going to be a really fun fight. I'm excited for it, man. Also, another fight that came together. Same date. Mikey Garcia versus Robert Easter. Finally finalized. Although it's not on BoxRec still. So, I mean, the guys at PBC really need to get their shit together and announce these fights officially way sooner. Way sooner. But this thing was finally announced, I think, like over the weekend. Or late last week. Either way, it was June. And you're announcing a fight for July 28th in the biggest boxing market in America on an overloaded, you know, boxing uh, summer. Because there's some fights coming up on the schedule here. There's just a card in, at Staples in Los Angeles, right? You're announcing this fight for July 28th, the first week of June, the second week of June. Like, that doesn't make sense. Either way, it's finally announced. I like that fight. Mikey Garcia is 5'6", with a 68-inch reach. Easter's eleven, 76-inch reach. So Easter, obviously, goes without saying, much bigger guy, right? He's taller, he's wider, he's longer. Bigger guy. However, Garcia, infinitely more experienced, has way more levels to him. One thing that I am curious about, his last two fights were north of 135 pounds, the lightweight limit. He's gonna to have to get down to 135 for this fight. I'm curious if that will take anything out of him. I don't think so, because the guy seems to live a healthy lifestyle and doesn't blow up in weight between fights. I think weight won't be an issue for him. Easter barely got by Richard Comey, Dennis Shafikov, and Javier Fortuna, okay? If you felt he won all three of those fights, clearly fine, but you have to admit they were competitive. And some of you out there feel that he lost one or more of those fights on the cards. Either way, none of those guys is anywhere near the level of skill that Mikey Garcia has. So if Garcia can handle Easter's size advantage, and I think he can, he should win that fight, unify lightweight titles, and then you're going to have two lightweights that share the titles, One, you know, Lomachenko is, well, they don't share them all yet. Lomachenko will by the end of the year. He's injured. You know, he got surgery on his shoulder. He's recovering. I expect him to come back later this year and fight Raimundo Beltran and get his title. At the end of this year, you're going to have two lightweights with all the titles. And that sets up a big, monster, lightweight fight between Vasily Lomachenko and Mikey Garcia next year. My hope is that Mikey Garcia, who is not tied to a network, still not tied to a promoter, understands his market value and doesn't price or negotiate or talk his way out of that fight because he's kind of been rather delusional in the last few years. Obviously, Lomachenko is with Top Rank, he's with ESPN. That's where that fight will happen. Even if it's an ESPN pay-per-view or something, That's where that fight would happen. Garcia has to know that. And he's going to have to play ball. Lomachenko, I'm sorry. To me, he's the A-side in that fight. Now, from a marketing point of view, marketing perspective, some of you may say Garcia's the A-side. I say show me the evidence of that. I don't know that Garcia, maybe he's done higher TV ratings. He is American. He's been fighting on American Uh, Airwaves much longer than Lomachenko. But in terms of putting butts in the seats, in terms of uh, media, national, international, global media acclaim, when you start talking about foreign TV rights and all that stuff, foreign TV money coming in, I don't know, man. I know that fight belongs in Las Vegas. Las Vegas will feel more like Garcia's backyard. But Internationally, Lomachenko is going to bring some whales in. So, I, for that fight to happen, and I really do hope it happens, Garcia is going to have to quit being so damn delusional. I'm not talking about Lomachenko being delusional and, and negotiating because I just I we haven't seen him yet talk his way or negotiate his way out of any fight. The fight with Riga Dial that wasn't Lomachenko holding that up. And, you know, that's been talked about. That was Rigon Diao pushing those negotiations back. And his delusion, and you saw how that wound up for him. Hopefully, Mikey Garcia doesn't make the same kind of mistake. All right, guys, that's it with news and notes this week. Let's look at all the action that took place in the ring around the world last week. Friday, June 8th at the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York. It was another golden boy promotions on espn 2 card and in the main event diego de la Hoya scored a seventh round stoppage win over jose salgado improving to 21 and oh with 10 knockouts we talked about de la Hoya having issues making weight before that wasn't an issue here he made weight whatever was going on in camp before they straightened it out and um diego's turning 24 this august and he now has quality wins over Randy Caballero, who was a former titleist, I think, at Bantamweight. And then Jose Salgado, who never won a title, but as far as... I I don't believe he won a title, but I know he's challenged for a title several times. He's been in with several top guys. He's a quality, experienced veteran fighter. So I think that Diego De La Hoya is ready for a title shot right now. He's as ready as he's ever going to be. I don't know who else you want to put him in there with. Maybe one more fight... But I don't even think he needs that. I think he's ready to fight WBC Super Bantamweight Titleist Ray Vargas right now. Why not? That's an easy fight to make. And I just don't see what else De La Jolla is going to do in the meantime over the next you know year that's going to make him more money. It's not like there's big names in and around that division. He's got to start getting titles if he wants to start making more money. And I just think that's an easy fight to make. I'd like to see it. I've been calling for that fight for a year now. Well, actually, maybe not a full year, but I've been calling for it since since De La Hoya beat Caballero last year for the Golovkin-Canelo fight. He was on that card. And since from that point on, I'm like, dude, he's ready for Ray Vargas. So let's make that fight. De La Hoya is currently rated number four by the WBC. You figure he'd move up a spot or two after this win. For Ray Vargas, who just fought Azat Avanesian, who won that fight, Mexican fighter Julio Seja was supposed to be his mandatory, but Ceja lost to Franklin Manzanilla in May. So I'm not sure if Manzanilla is supposed to be the mandatory now. I-, I haven't heard a ruling from the BC on this. As far as I know, there's no mandatory for Ray Vargas right now. So again, that fight's easy to make, and I think it'd be an interesting style matchup, and I want to see... If De La Hoya can do more than what Crazy A Azad Havanissian did against Ray Vargas. Let's see what happens. Saturday, June 9th in the Manchester Arena in Manchester. Maurice Hooker scores the upset special on foreign ground. Gets the split decision victory over Terry Flanagan. Wins the vacant WBO junior welterweight title. The judges had it 117-111 and 115-113 for Hooker who won the fight, in my opinion, and somehow Judge Jerry Jakubko, who I think is out of Illinois, I think he's an American judge, somehow had it 117-111 for Flanagan. That's not the fight I saw. I think the fight was close and competitive, but I thought, I felt Maurice Hooker did more and clearly won this fight. And you guys, you've heard me before. I've been hard on Hooker because I still think he got a complete gift when he got a draw against Darlis Perez on the Kovalev Ward undercard back in late 2016. But clearly he's learned since that time. He learned from that fight. He beat Cristobal Cruz, who's a good good veteran fighter, last February. And now he goes over to the UK to win a title off Terry Flanagan, who is a good quality experienced fighter, but clearly just not at that higher level. Hooker is now 24-0, three draws, 16 knockouts. And guess what? He's from Dallas, Texas. He's another Texas fighter doing things in this sport. Those of you who follow me, you've been following me over the last couple of years, I've been telling you, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, that area, I guess I guess you call it what? Eastern Texas, Southeastern Texas? I don't know. Uh, that area is starting to blow up and become an area where there's some, some real good American fighters coming up. Those gyms are getting better. That gym scene there has really improved. And you're seeing these guys come up now, and they're doing things in the sport. So you, now you've got Hook, Maurice Hooker that you can put alongside the Charlos, Errol Spence, as guys from that area who have won titles. And a couple of them have gone overseas to win their titles. That's what Brooke did, right? Hook has done the same thing. So I'm really curious to see where this kid goes from here. That division, 140 pounds, it's pretty damn weak right now. And it's wide open. Terrence Crawford left, and there's a massive, massive gaping hole in that division, and it's up for grabs. So uh, Regis Progre, who's fighting soon, I think uh, next month in New Orleans, interested to see what that kid can do. He looks to be the goods. You got uh, Ramirez out of California; he looks good. So you got some guys there, but there's you know the top is just completely blown up. So I want to see how Hooker <coughs> how Hooker fits into the mix there. Either way, man, another one for Texas. I'm telling you guys, and a lot of my my um, associates in the media, my peers in the boxing media, have not caught on to this yet. I've been telling my guys in L.A. My guys in New York, keep an eye on Texas. There's something going on there. No one's listening yet, but I I guarantee you, one of these mainstream dudes, one of these Dan Raphael, Chris Mannix guys, over the next 12 to 18 months, they're going to write some article or do some vignette about the Texas fight scene and how it's blowing up. And everyone's going to be like, oh, you guys are geniuses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, also on this card, a fight you might have heard about i don't know tyson fury tyson fury is back scores are fourth round stoppage win over Sephir safari who you know <laughs> i don't know what the guys list that i don't even think they list his height on box wreck they list fury at six foot nine and i can tell you guys he is absolutely not six foot nine he's closer to six foot seven okay but Safari looked five foot three at the weigh-in. I thought, I thought they found a midget. And, I mean, Fury picked him up at the weigh-in. It was a spectacle, a completely useless fight. Fury is already scheduled to be back August 18th, which is a smart thing for his people to do. If I was representing Tyson Fury right now, I'd have him back in July. I'd have, if you're fighting people at the level of Sephir Safari, fight every damn month. Get this guy back in the ring. How this was sanctioned as a heavyweight fight, I don't know, but hey, it is what it is. Fury had been out of the ring for almost a few years, came in there, and did what he was supposed to do. Uh, you know, There are other instances where a guy would come back after three years and maybe knock out Safari in the first round. Fury's not that kind of fighter. He doesn't hit very hard. Um, so it took him a few rounds. He got some work in. Good for him. Let's see what he could do. I know right now there's a lot of Tyson Fury fever. The UK fans, I love you guys. You support your fighters like none other. But you need to calm down a little bit with this Tyson Fury shit. The things I'm seeing on Twitter, the things I'm seeing on Facebook, on YouTube, in the comment section on these videos, a little crazy. All right. I was just talking with one of you guys on Facebook before I got in here to shoot this, to uh, tape this. Uh, And one of you guys was saying that Fury is, you know, Hall of Fame worthy already and that he shut out and dominated Vladimir Klitschko in their fight in 2015. Number one, he didn't shut out Klitschko. I thought Klitschko clearly won three or four rounds of those fights, or at least you can make that argument. I shouldn't say clearly, but he won three or four of those rounds on all three judges scorecards because... Fury did so little himself, and his punches were so shoe shine and pity pat that if Klitschko landed a couple of clear solid jabs or one decent right hand, it was enough to sway the judges to give him the round because his punches meant more. Fury basically in that fight, under the 10-point must system, you could argue it was a one-sided fight. I wouldn't say domination. That's not a domination. Joe Calzaghe, Jeff Lacey, that's a domination. Floyd Mayweather, Canelo Alvarez, that's a domination. Not not as clearly as Calzaghe Lacey, but Floyd clearly won 11 rounds in that fight and had uh, Canelo looking amateurish at times. Now, Vladimir Klitschko looked like shit in that fight, but Fury didn't look amazing. He basically neutralized what Vladimir Klitschko wanted to do, and then slapped him two or three times, little pity pat shoeshine combo, danced around, played for the fans and the judges, and got the round. But it wasn't like he was beating Klitschko down, dominating him, roughing him up. That's not what we saw. Okay, that's not this this wasn't anywhere near what Mayweather did to Canelo. And it wasn't on the same stratosphere as what Kalzagi did to Lacey. There's a million other examples I could bring up, okay? But yeah, let, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's see what Fury does against a top 100 rated heavyweight. Notice I didn't say top 10 or top 20, I said top 100 rated heavyweight because Sephir Safiri, or Safari, I can't even remember how to say his damn name. He's not even a top 100 rated heavyweight. So everyone chill out. The Mac is back, that's cool, I'm happy. I like Fury, he's an entertaining figure, but one win, one big win on paper over an all-time great does not equal greatness. If you want to talk about Fury being a future Hall of Famer, he needs to have wins over a Deontay Wilder or an Anthony Joshua, or at least get back in there against a guy like Joseph Parker, Dillian White, Luis Ortiz, That level of fighter, okay? He's nowhere near that right now. So everyone just chill out, all right? But it's going to be fun. We're we're going to see what Fury does. And this ride is going to be fun. It might end tragically. It might blow up and crash and burn. But it's going to be fun while it lasts. All right, let's come over here to the USA. We had a couple good cards over here. At the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, top rank on ESPN Plus, the app. Terrence Crawford scores a TKO 9 over Jeff Horn. Wins his WBO welterweight title. Jeff Horn after the fight says, Manny Pacquiao hit harder. Well, that may be so, Jeff. But Terrence Crawford beat the shit out of you and won every second of every round in this fight. They claim that it was a premature stoppage. There's some Jeff Horn fans out there crying and saying it was a premature stoppage and that Horn actually won a couple of rounds. You guys are out of your freaking mind. Terence Crawford owned every second of this fight like we all thought he would. Frankly, I'm very surprised it went nine rounds. It probably did go nine rounds because Crawford doesn't hit that hard. And what we saw in this fight is that Crawford doesn't punch that hard at welterweight. He's not punching dudes as hard at welterweight as he was punching them at lightweight. Well, no shit. That should be obvious, right? But let's see how Crawford fits in and grows in to welterweight. He's obviously not going to get a fight with a Keith Thurman or an Errol Spence anytime soon. If that fight ever happens, it's two years off. So in between now and then, let's see him fill in at this weight, see if he could work on his power and continue to defend that title and build himself up and start banging the drums for an eventual fight with Errol Spence. I think Keith Thurman is pretty much a non-factor at this point. He's gonna come back and cash out. I know he's gonna come back and do a fight against Sean Porter, somebody like that again, probably, which is total shit, we don't need to see it. Maybe even somebody, you know, before that, he'll take a, a, a comeback fight against, a you know, a, a welterweight version of Sephir Safari. But eventually, within the next 12 to 18 months, I do think Thurman's gonna cash out. They're going to cash him out against Spence because Uncle Al knows that Thurman's heart isn't 100% in boxing anymore. And Thurman is a little uh, upset and frustrated with Uncle Al as it is. So that will happen. Then it's going to be Crawford and Spence. Those are going to be the two guys. And that's going to be the biggest fight in boxing maybe 2021, somewhere in that ballpark. I hope it could happen before then. I'm just not that optimistic, guys. We might have to wait till early 2020 to see Spence and Thurman as it is. So maybe by 2021, we see that fight. When it happens, it's a massive pay-per-view. And I think it's going to be a big, big fight. But until then, let's just see what Crawford could do. Top Rank does have a few guys they can match him with. Apparently, there's some code with PBC. And I think some of the a minus b plus level welterweights that uncle al has maybe he can make fights between some of those guys and crawford over the next couple years to try to build up that eventual fight with spence um, so look bud is now 33 and 0 24 knockouts titles in three divisions three division world titlelist was the legitimate champion at one of those divisions junior welterweight but in terms of opponents his resume is pretty lackluster Okay, not his fault though, not his fault. You guys can't blame him. He's kind of suffering from Gennady Golovkin syndrome prior to 2017. Prior to 2017, Golovkin didn't have many opponents that were noteworthy out in his division and the ones that were didn't want to fight him yet. So finally last year, he started getting marquee opponents who either brought a big name Uh, significant dollars, you know, that sort of thing. That didn't happen for him until just recently. For Terrence Crawford, there were none of those guys around at lightweight or junior welterweight. They just weren't around. Now that he's up to 47, there's guys around. Now, Manny Pacquiao, should he beat Lucas Matisse? Or even if Matisse beats Pacquiao, maybe he could get the winner of that fight. I don't know. I don't know if either one of those guys is going to want any piece of of, uh, Terrence Crawford at this point. I just don't know. But there will be guys that he can build himself up with in this division. He's also got big names in this division. Even a fight with Keith Thurman right now would be the best opponent of Terrence Crawford's career, right? Even that level of fighter. Man, you could argue maybe even Danny Garcia would be the best opponent of his career. So there are guys at Welterweight that are names that he actually could make some money and build himself up a little bit with. And then there's the big fight, Errol Spence. The big, big fight that's coming down the road. So now his, you know, Triple G's Canelo is Bud Crawford's Errol Spence. And by the way, it's the same way for Errol Spence. Other than he already beat all the other guys who matter in the PBC universe. It's, he's not going to move up and fight Charlo at 154. That's not going to happen. I mean, who knows? He's not going to move up and fight Jared Hurd. I just don't see those fights happening. But Keith Thurman is really the only quote-unquote big name for him. The The big, big fight for Spence down the road, the big name for him is going to be Terrence Crawford. And that's why I think eventually that fight will happen. I wanted to, um, one more time, just quickly talk about Terrence Crawford not getting enough love and promotion from top rank and blah. blah. Why was this on the ESPN Plus app? I don't want to watch boxing on my phone. Number one, some of you need to join the 21st century. And I'm saying this as a guy who is dumb as hell when it comes to tech. I have just, I do not understand this shit. Tiffany, my fiance, she handles the tech stuff in the house. I have no idea how any of this shit works, okay? But I know how to download an app and I know how to take a fi- uh, anything that's streaming on my phone and bounce it to my computer or my TV. I know how to do that. I know you guys do too. And the majority of you guys are watching shit on your phone all the time. A good portion of you guys are downloading this podcast on your phone right now, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or even YouTube. You're watching on your damn phone. By the way, ESPN, ESPN Plus app, I believe you can... Have it up on your computer, your tablet, any of those devices. It is only in the USA. So it is only an American thing. But those of you bitching and complaining about the app, actually I thought about it. And this fight made sense going on the ESPN Plus app. Jeff Horn is from Australia. The fight over there was pay-per-view. So last week I, you know, I I didn't know if the ESPN app was a universe or a international thing or not. I've since learned it's only an American thing. And now it makes even more sense why this fight would go ESPN plus app. Because the foreign TV money that's coming over from the pay-per-views in other countries is part of the deal. And I'm quite sure that Crawford is getting at least a chunk of that. Now, I would assume the majority of the Australian pay-per-view money is going to Jeff Horn and his side. But I haven't heard anything anywhere that he's getting 100% of it. So if you're top Rank, who, by the way, promoted, represented Jeff Horn for this fight, and their options with Jeff Horn are over after this fight. If you're top Rank, this is the one you, you test out the ESPN Plus app with because you know you've got that foreign pay-per-view money. And then you've got other countries... That had to either order this on pay-per-view or one of the subscription services uh i don't know if it, you know like a box nation i'm not saying this fight was on box nation but those types of uh, subscription services in other markets you're bringing in all the international money and crawford's getting some of that so think about it guys if you're top rank and you represent both sides you can negotiate that and part of that was probably why this fight got delayed a couple times in, in all honesty because Hornside may have wanted more of the Australian pay-per-view money. Crawford might have demanded more, right? And there's probably some bickering there, but you'd have to think that Crawford got some of that. So Top Rank was banking on eating off that money and then seeing what happens on the ESPN Plus app. So all things considered, I think this was a smart move for them by trying this. Now, Crawford does have to come back to ESPN at some point You can't have the guy just on the app. You can't have any fighter just on the app. But maybe if Lomachenko's next fight is against Beltran, maybe that's where you bounce Lomachenko over to the ESPN Plus app. And Crawford's fight later this year comes back to ESPN. Let's see what they do with this. okay? But these guys are smart. They're not stupid. They know what they're doing. Also about not being promoted. You know, you guys saw the headline where Crawford said he didn't want to talk to the Australian media and all this shit, right? It's just another example of him not really understanding it and thinking that the promoter handles all that shit and he just shows up and fights. And he does the most minimal amount of promotion available and he doesn't do it very well. He's not very, Terrence Crawford is not good on camera. He's not good on the mic. In the ring, he's outstanding. In an interview in the ring, you could tell that's his comfort spot. He does much better there than outside the ring, where his interviews are horrible. But guys, I talked about this before. I'll just mention this again. Think of an actor. Actors have an agent, a manager. If you're a really, really popular, famous actor, you probably have a publicist. You probably have all sorts of tax and legal people. You have a team of people. And they all play their part. But if you, as the big, big actor, don't do your own self-promotion, don't get yourself out there, don't do a good job with those promotional opportunities, don't do networking yourself and get yourself lined up for uh, opportunities, you could have the greatest team in the world, it don't mean shit. Look at someone like Tom Cruise. Now, maybe this isn't the best example because he's a massive megastar and Terrence Crawford isn't, but think of Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise has the best agents. I'm sure he's with CAA. It's the best agency in the world. Uh, He has the best management people, the best lawyers, the best everything. But if he doesn't go out there and do those interviews on different shows, if he doesn't go out there when he has a movie coming out and do those interviews on those stupid teeny bopper, housewife, uh, entertainment tonight type shows, talking about his new movie and shit, the movie doesn't get promoted. He's still... Tom Cruise is as famous as he is, he's got to get out there and do promotion. And he's got to do it well. You saw when he had some wacky moments on like Oprah where he acted all weird and shit, how it kind of hurt him to a degree, right? Because people were talking negatively about him. But at the same time, it was still promotion. People were talking about him. People still go see his damn movies. So just think about a boxer the same way. This is entertainment, guys you got to go out there you got to do a certain amount of promotion yourself. And you can't just show up and, you know, get on an interview and be like, uh, I'd just like to thank God for this opportunity. And uh, I'll go fight whoever my promoter said next. And, uh, you know, um, what I had said was uh, in the fight meeting was, uh, you know, I, I, I just go work my jab and I just go and concentrate uh, uh, on my family and I go fishing. you you, you got to have some personality. you got to come out there and you got to talk about your opponent. I'm not saying you got to shit talk. You don't have to be a lunatic like Tyson Fury or Adrian Broner, but you got to come out there and you got to do the thing. You got to get people interested in wanting to see you. So that's the last time I'm going to talk about that shit, man. Also on this card, welterweight prospect Jose Benavides improves to 27 and 0. Junior middleweight prospect Maxime Dadachev improves to 11 and 0. Featherweight, Shakur, Stevenson improves to 7-0. They all score stoppage wins. All right, so from Vegas, you drive uh, about four or five hours southwest into Los Angeles. We had a fight. It was uh, PBC on Showtime from the Staples Center in downtown Los Angeles. Leo Santa Cruz scores a unanimous decision win over Abner Mares and quote-unquote unifies the WBA featherweight title, which is about the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Did you guys notice when Jimmy Lennon announced uh, the scorecards, he said Leo Santa Cruz was the WBC diamond or into whatever stupid WBC thing that they put in just to milk the Mexican fans some more because they don't do that enough, but he also said the undisputed WBA featherweight champ of the world. Did you guys hear that? That shit made me cringe. The undisputed WBA featherweight championship of the world. That is how effed up the WBA is. That now, when they have the regular and super champ fight each other, that's the undisputed champ for the WBA. But you guys wait. In six months, they're going to have somebody fight for that WBA regular title again. Just you wait. You would think if you had an undisputed champion in your division, you wouldn't need an interim or a regular. But you just wait. Anyway, that shit made me chuckle, man. That was just, man, the WBA, horrible. Okay, so let's talk about this fight real quick. And I want to give you guys a trigger warning, okay? I'm going to trigger some of you with what I'm about to say. You're not gonna like it. So go ahead and get ready to downvote this video and then just stop listening to the rest of the episode. But this was an entertaining fight about 2,000 punches thrown. But what I saw here, guys, and I'm saying this as a guy that has trained, has sparred, has watched thousands of rounds of sparring amateur professional fights in my lifetime and been in gyms and seen how it works. I saw two guys who basically had a gentleman's agreement going into this fight. I'm not saying that they consciously talked to each other and said, hey, let's entertain the fans, but keep it light. But that's what they did. They'd stand on the outside and look at each other and then ram in like two goats and slap each other. Go back and watch some of these combinations. Now, they were winging them. Very, very few straight punches, very few uh, straight jabs. Although Santa Cruz did start to work his jab later in the fight. But from the outside, I did not see many punches with bad intentions. And neither of these guys is a really big power puncher. I'm not suggesting that. But look at the Santa Cruz we saw against Carl Frampton. And even in his last fight, I think it was what, uh, Avalos, the guy he brutally almost decapitated there at StubHub. Uh, Was that the fight? Maybe that was before Frampton. Anyway, his last fight at StubHub. Look at that Santa Cruz and his mentality and the way he was punching and compare that to what he did against Abdelmaris Saturday. What I saw was two guys get in there, slap with shoe shine flurries, but not really trying to hurt each other. Some of the combinations that Showtime was showing, it almost looked like both guys had their eyes closed for part of it and they were throwing wide looping punches to the body. Not digging to the liver, but I mean punching up at the ribs and the chest. They were kind of punching in the middle, just throwing their hands around because it looked good for the crowd. The crowd ate it up. It was entertaining. And I'm not complaining about it. But i that's what I saw here, guys. Th- this was a way for both of these dudes to make some money. Uh, Leo Santa Cruz is a favorite of Al Heyman. Abner Mars, he loves Abner Mars too. But Santa Cruz is like uh, almost like a... A son to him and by the way Santa Cruz and his family are wonderful people and Abner Mars is a great dude took the defeat with uh, humility and was totally respectful and humble in defeat and both of these guys are true gentlemen so I just want to put that out there because I know I triggered a lot of you guys but that's the reality of what this fight was man this was two guys who knew what the crowd wanted And they dive in and slap each other with these combos, dart back out, and just repeat. They did it for 12 rounds. Mauro Ronaldo did his job. He hyped it up like this was Hagler Hearns or something. I've seen a lot of you out there talking about how this is a fight of the year contender. It's not. It's just not. Their first fight was better. I thought it was actually fought with more intensity and ferocity. That was a bottom of the top 10 fight of the year contender. I think that was what, in 2015? This is not. Look at what, and you know what? When you throw over a thousand punches and you land a couple hundred punches, maybe you land two, 300 of those punches, your other, your opponent should be cut, bruised, swole up. They should be, you know, like laboring to get out of the ring and walk back to the locker room. Neither of these guys were. Abner Mars had a little bit of swelling. His right eye was bothering him a little bit. And Santa Cruz had a cut, but that cut was caused by a headbutt. It was actually the headbutts that caused the most damage between these two guys. To throw a 1,000 punches and land two, 300 of them, and neither guy was seriously even buzzed or moved by a shot. I'm just telling you guys, that's what they were doing. They were going in there, and look, it was entertaining. They entertained the fans. The fans seemed very, very happy. But to, to an educated eye, all this fight was, was two guys milking a fan base that was going to love what they did and making some money and for Santa Cruz and for Uncle Al pushing back the fight that should have happened already between Santa Cruz and Gary Russell or Santa Cruz and Frampton, which I don't think that rubber match is going to happen now. I actually think the Uh, russell fight will happen because that's all uncle al like that fight should have happened this saturday this was a way to push it back and get fans to think to justify it that's what this was all right so for santa cruz now 35 1 and 1 19 knockouts he had titles at 118 122 and now 126 but kind of like terrence crawford Let's look at who Santa Cruz beat for those titles, particularly at 118 and 122. And there were actually some fighters in those divisions that he avoided. He actually had some some legit talent that it would have been good to fight and unify titles with. I will say this, at 126, he has wins over Abner Mares and Carl Frampton. Those are good quality wins. So he has done his best work at featherweight now it's time to fight gary russell jr and all things considered gary russell jr is probably the best opponent that santa cruz will face i i like russell i think he's improved since the lomachenko loss i don't think he could ever beat lomachenko he's just not on that level but that's okay no one beats this version of lomachenko right now unless he continues to move way up in weight the only guy that challenges him at 35 is is Mikey Garcia. But at featherweight, Russell might be the top guy right now. I think Frampton's mind is half out of boxing. So Russell's probably the top guy or Santa Cruz. Those are the two top dudes. Oscar Valdez is in the mix too, but obviously that's a cross promotional fight. Let's see Santa Cruz and Russell fight each other. That's what should happen next. And when it does, it'll be the best opponent of... Santa Cruz's career, in terms of the version of the fighter he's facing, and where, because it's very possible. Maybe that goes to Vegas. It makes sense in D.C., it makes sense in L.A., but maybe it goes to Vegas. But for Russell, it will be the second-best opponent of his career. Second or third, I'm going to say second-best, but obviously his 12 rounds at Lomachenko is going to help him in that fight against Santa Cruz, if it happens, that experience, right? For Abner Morris, who talked about a third match with Santa Cruz, please God no, please no. Uh, still wanna see him against top featherweights though. He's still a top 10 featherweight. I'd love to see him against Joseph Diaz Jr. next. In the perfect world, in the perfect boxing universe, that's that's a fight that should happen. Both guys coming off losses, for, for Diaz, it's his first loss as a pro. That's what should happen. But because of politics, Uncle Al, Golden Boy Promotions, that fight ain't happening. And that's a damn shame. Because Diaz and Mares in Los Angeles, maybe at a StubHub Center or something like that, I don't know, man. That could do a pretty damn good crowd. It really could. All right. Also on this card, Jermel Charlo. Not Jamal, Jermell Charlo. Wins a majority decision over Austin Trout, defends his WBC junior middleweight title, and it should have been a unanimous decision. The judges had it 118-108 and 115-111 for Charlo. Somehow California judge Fernando Villarreal scored it 113-113. And considering that Trout was dropped twice, once in the second, once in the seventh. He really had it 115, 113 for Trout in terms of rounds. I don't know what effing fight Villarreal was watching, but that is a horrible, horrible scorecard. And the California State Athletic Commission needs to sit down and have a chat with Villarreal because I, that, that's just seven, five in terms of rounds for Trout. I have no idea what the hell he was watching. Anyway, for Austin Trout, he has gone 24 rounds with both Charlo brothers. And you know, all things considered, for both Jermel and Jermall, their wins over Austin Trout are the best wins of their career. Neither one of those guys has beat a, an elite level fighter in their prime. They haven't done it yet. So for all the, the hoopla and the buzz that we're getting, their best win is Austin Trout, okay, years after he was beat by canelo alvarez some of you feel he beat canelo okay fine but years after that fight so that's put to me that puts things in perspective a little bit for charlo both charlos but the crowd was booing this fight and, and you guys heard my preview last week where i thought man is this the fight maybe the austin trout gets old overnight you know and maybe uh maybe charlo can stop him i was wrong trout knows how to survive and charlo Just, look, I would think if he's the beast some of us think he is, you got Trout coming off this beatdown he took to Jarrett Hurd, which was a grueling fight. And I shouldn't say beatdown because he won rounds in that fight, but it was a grueling physical fight for an older veteran fighter. I just feel, look, Trout was dropped, flash knockdowns on cupping punches. If Charlo could have landed one hard flush punch, Right to the chin, or better yet, a combo of punches right to the chin. I really think he could have got Trout out of there. And the fact that he didn't makes me pump the brakes a little bit on Jamel Charlo. Right now, I slightly, slightly, very, very, very slightly favor Jarrett Hurd to beat Jamel Charlo if they fight by decision, obviously, just based on work rate, maybe split decision. That would be my pick right now. In the middleweight division, Jermall Charlo, if he decides to go the route I think he should and fight Derevyanchenko for that vacant IBF title, I do think he beats Derevyanchenko, but I think it's a damn competitive fight. But if he goes the WBC route and tries to get that fight with Golovkin, Gennady Golovkin, I'm going to say it right now and I'm not going to stutter. He stops Jermall Charlo in the mid to late rounds if they fight right now. If they fight a year from now, 18 months from now, different story. Much different story. Back to Jermel Charlo. It's got to be Jarrett Hurd next. He's got to fight Jarrett Hurd next. No bullshit. Do the fight next. Do the fight in D.C. Because that's Jarrett Hurd's from that area at the MGM National Harbor in Oxon Hill. Or you could do the fight in Houston where Charlo's from. And by the way, neither Charlo or Jarrett Hurd have been featured in a high profile bout in their hometown or hometown area? Neither of them. What the F is PBC doing? You've got guys coming from real American cities with real sports markets and you're not building up their brand there. I just don't understand their business plan. Like what are they doing? You compare that to what Loeffler has done with Triple G in different markets. Now, the, Triple G is not even from America. And you compare that to what Top Rank is doing with Terrence Crawford. And there's some other fighters we could talk about. What other promoters are doing. They're building these guys up in their hometowns. So I tweeted about this earlier today. Santa Cruz should fight Gary Russell next. Jamel Charlo should fight Jarrett Hurd next. And they should be on the same damn card. Now, that would make a lot of sense in D.C. because both Russell and Hurd are from D.C. But Santa Cruz probably doesn't want to do that. And Charlo probably doesn't want to do that. And Uncle Al probably doesn't want to do that because I think they would rather put that on, if they actually got that into a doubleheader, put that on in Las Vegas where you get a site fee from a casino where you could charge more for the tickets. And I think that doubleheader I actually think they could sell out, maybe they could do well the MGM Grand with that kind of a card. I really do think so. Maybe it's a Thomas and Mac or something like that. Either way, I think they could do 12,000 or more in Vegas with a casino site fee. You go on Showtime, so you get your fee there. Why not do it? Strike while the kettle's hot. Do that at the end of this year, man. I don't know, October, November, somewhere in that time frame, do that doubleheader, go to Vegas and get your money. If they don't do that, it's a damn shame. Sunday, June 10th, it was PBC on Fox Sports 1 from the Pioneer Event Center in Lancaster, California. Travis Kaufman wins a majority decision over Scott Alexander. Both fighters were down in round one. Gerald Washington scores a unanimous decision over John Wesley No Fire. This guy's last name is literally No Fire. And that's pretty much how this fight went. He lived up to his name. I can't believe this went to distance. This went 10 rounds. To give you an example of who John Wesley Nofire is, he was KO'd by Joey Abel in three rounds back in 2016. So for him to go 10 rounds with Gerald Washington, I don't know what to think about Gerald Washington at this point. Michael Hunter scores a KO5 over Iago Keladse. Uh, and that was a heavyweight fight, but Hunter's really a cruiserweight. So based on his performance and what he did, if Hunter could get his ass back down the cruiserweight where he belongs, of these three fighters that headline this card, he's the one to keep an eye on. All right, guys, that's it for all the action last week. Let's preview what we got coming up this week. Thursday, June 14th, it is another Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN2 card at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. And <clears throat> in the main event, Marcito Hesta is fighting Robert Manzanares in a 10-round lightweight fight. Hesta's coming off that loss to Jorge Linares back in January. And you know how I feel about him. I just feel he, he never completely empties the tank, but he's set up here in a fight that he should win. Let's see how he looks co-feature is what I'm really interested in on this card. Undefeated prospects, Edgar Valerio and Manny Robles Jr. are both fighting. Valerio is 13-0, eight knockouts, 23 years old. He's a Mexican native, but he now lives in Los Angeles. Eight of his last nine fights have been at the Belasco Theater on those LA Fight Night cards. So in a sense, he's kind of moving up a level here, right? He's going off the LA Fight Night cards, which are streamed, onto espn 2 so this is a, a big bump up for him in his career now robles he's 15 and 0 with seven knockouts 24 years old he's an la native this guy's fought at stub center he's fought at the forum he's fought at fantasy springs before he's also fought on those velasco uh, fight night cards too but he's kind of been around a little bit more so he's as i mentioned he's been at fantasy springs before he's a little more experienced in that regard Right, Valerio has been completely built up on those Belasco cards. So in a sense, this is the biggest stage he's fought on. Let's see how he looks. But both of these guys, similar records. I'm excited to see who wins this fight. The winner of this fight goes on to become kind of a junior contender. He's no longer a prospect. It's a guy we got to look at in a different way. Loser of this fight, back to the drawing board. Let's see what happens. Friday, June 15th, there's a card from York Hall in London. It's actually a Haymaker Promotions card and undefeated London-based heavyweight prospect Joe Joyce, who is 4-0 with four knockouts, he's headlining that card. You guys remember Joyce fought in the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. He won a silver medal there. Saturday, June 16th, we got another card in the UK from the Metro Radio Arena in Newcastle. This is a Matchroom card on Sky Network over there. And it's a a bunch of prospects on this card, but the two that are of note, lightweight prospect Lewis Ritson is 15-0 and and welterweight prospect Josh Kelly is 6-0. He was a 2016 Olympian on the card. Um, So that's gonna be a fun card of prospects there from Matchroom. But the big event this weekend is from the Ford Center in Frisco, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas, Texas pbc on showtime errol spence making a homecoming you know i just talked about earlier in the episode about pbc not having their guys fight in their hometown well errol spence finally will and i actually interviewed him and his trainer derek james for a piece i did in the current issue of boxing monthly magazine it's the june issue if you guys haven't picked it up yet please do so and check out my article on page 38 and you'll see right there where he talks about I talked to him and his trainer about fighting in Dallas. It's something he wants to do once a year going forward. So Spence is going to fight there and he's defending his IBF welterweight title for the second time against undefeated Mexican Carlos Ocampo. So this is the only only the second fight for Spence in Dallas. As I, as I talked about before, he wants to change that. So I, I hope, and they're expecting a good crowd, well over 10,000. Let's see how the crowd feels, how it looks. Let's, you know, Does that energy bleed through the TV screen? If they can build a market down there and they can start having uh, Spence fight down there once a year, the, the Charlos fight down there once a year, that helps further develop that boxing market. And it's only going to bring up more and more young guys in the amateur system down there. The one thing I'll say about these, these Texas fighters is they're pretty exciting. And they have a mentality of going for the kill in, right, in the right style matchups, particularly Spence, man. Spence just gets dudes out of there. The combined record of these two fighters, 45-0 with 33 knockouts. Obviously, Spence is more accomplished in the amateurs and in the pros. But all things considered, this is a mandatory fight good, solid, mandatory matchup of undefeated fighters. For Ocampo, it's his first fight outside of Mexico. This is his big opportunity. I asked Spence about it, you know, and asked him, what do you know about Ocampo? You know, he said, well, he's a tough Mexican guy. Those fighters from Mexico are tough. And this is his chance. I got a title now. This is this guy's chance. This is his first fight outside Mexico. He wants that title so i think ocampo is going to come in there hungry and make for an entertaining fight i think this is going to be fun considering the atmosphere and everything else and then in the co-feature don't sleep on this co-feature guys daniel roman going up against moises flores who is an experienced fighter from mexico himself this is the second defense of roman's wba super bantamweight title you guys remember last year uh, Roman is a Thompson boxing guy. You guys know I've been involved with that company. I was part of the, uh, the rebroadcast, the restreaming of his winning title winning effort back in Japan last September, where Roman went over there, grabbed the title, brought it back home to America. In his first defense, he went right back to Japan this February. He hasn't fought back home in California since 2016. And during that Thompson boxing broadcast where I called the fights last month, Daniel Roman was was there. He actually uh, co-talked, I I think it was, yeah, it was the main event. It was maybe two or three rounds where he co-commentated with me because Beto Duran had to run out. He had to catch a flight to go to New York. And so I took over commentating by myself and Roman came over and did a few rounds with me And I talked to him we interviewed him during the broadcast and I asked him about fighting in in California and he said he would love to do a homecoming but right now him and his team are going where the money is the opportunities have been in Japan and this card made sense for them to go to Texas Uh, I think Flores yes I mentioned he's from Mexico he has fought in the Dallas area before and for Roman They want to build him up in that market. Thompson Boxing has plans to do some cards down there in Texas as well because they see the growing market out there. And they've had some Texas fighters featured on their cards in California. So this is part of their eventual uh, dipping their waters into the Texas boxing market. And I think this is going to be an entertaining fight. Flores has been in with some good quality fighters. We last saw him against Guillermo Rigondeaux last June in that weird one-round stoppage that became a no contest. Flores is better than that one-round loss to uh, Rigo suggests. And I think he's going to put up a good challenge against Roman. I think that's going to be a fun co-feature. You guys hear me kind of losing my voice here. I've been talking well. It's over an hour so far. So... Uh, one more fight to preview, and that's Sunday, June seventeenth, in Kiev, Ukraine. Flyweight Artem Delakian. Do you guys remember him from the Superfly Two card at StubHub Center? Or I'm sorry, that was the, Superfly Two is at uh, the Forum in Los Angeles. Artem Delakian, He 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 beat Brian Veloria and really dominated Brian Veloria to take the WBA flyweight title. You guys remember that. I mean, it was was a vacant title, but a lot of people, myself included, favored Valoria because he was a veteran. He's been in there with everybody, one of the better little fighters of this last generation. And Delachian didn't just win. He upset everything. He completely dominated that fight, probably won nine or ten rounds in that fight at least, and took that title. This is his first defense. He's going up against a Thai fighter. I think Delakian's a real player in that flyweight division. The way he handled Valoria, and I get it, Veloria faded well past his prime, an aged fighter. But the way Delakian came to Valoria's backyard, basically, and, and 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 won like that, I was impressed. And flyweight division, it's not very good right now. It's wide open. And who knows, maybe Delakian's the best flyweight out there. His style isn't the most entertaining but it certainly is effective at least so far from what we've seen of him if he wins this fight and he's going up against a tie challenger that won't pose much of a challenge i like to big in this fight should he win tom offler is putting together that superfly three card for later this year they're going back to la and doing superfly three i would love to see if loffler can work some of his magic and get to to come back to la and either bring Show Kimura, Japanese fighter who has the WBO flyweight title, or Christopher Rosales who has the WBC flyweight title. Bring one of those guys and do a flyweight unification there for the Super Fly 3 card. That would come very cheap and it'd probably crown the lineal flyweight champion. Because I think those three guys I just mentioned, they're probably the top three flyweights right now, right? So I think uh, that's the fight to make, one of the fights to make for the Superfly 3 card. Anyway, guys, that is the preview. Not a whole lot of action coming up this weekend, but I am excited to see that PBC on Showtime card. I do think that's going to be a lot of fun down there in Dallas. Those fans have been waiting to see Arrow Spence come back home, and it's going to be a raucous crowd there, man. I think it's going to be a great, great atmosphere. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, comment, like, share, subscribe. You know the deal. You guys know the deal. I'll see you at the fights.